Amen. Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of Jonah. And if you're like me, you may have to uh, look at the front of the Bible to find the page number that Jonah's on. If you have one of the Bibles that uh, we are passing out, there's Rob there. Raise your hand if you need one. I'll even tell you the page number it's on. It's on page 774. 774 if you're kind of newish to the Bible. And even if you're not, you might even need some help. It's in this part of the Bible called the Prophets. And it's... um, it's an interesting little book, uh, curious, only 48 verses. Um, the story of, that we find in Jonah is one that uh, many of you have heard because it's, it's so memorable. And so it's going to be a lot of fun over the course of the next uh, few weeks to unpack it and for me to help you understand what's in there. You know, um, my role during this time as, as a teacher of God's Word is to open up the Scriptures so that you can hear what God says. And... Um, and so I, I consider it a privilege to do it. And I want you to know that, that whenever you get to see who God is, that's where you'll be the most satisfied. That's where you'll find the greatest amount of joy in this life. So um, this is such a, speci- such a special time. I always look forward to every week. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can um, kind of get ramped up about something and, and God does things to, to bring it kind of into perspective of like, you know, like, let's just, let's just be real. And so I had a little moment with my daughter right over here. This is only her second Sunday in here, and she loves it. I mean, uh, she loves to hear her singing, you know, and so I, I'm having this kind of moment in my own heart of just like, I just feel so proud to be her daddy, and I love her so much. And she has super curly hair. My wife straightened it in my absence because I don't like it because it makes her look older and um, like I, I can see that someday she'll be married and I hate it and um, and uh, anyway so I had this moment and and she kind of looks up at with me with these like real worshipful eyes and I'm like oh this this is it where she's going to tell me she feels called to missions or something <laughs> and she looks up to me and she goes dad your breath smells like waffles <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the last, after this song, babe, you can go downstairs. So anyway, it was kind of one of those, I was like, okay, let's just get honest here. So anyway, so, <laughs> uh, man, it's good to be with you all, and it's just a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you. So we're in the book of Jonah, um, and, uh, and by the way, uh, on your chair there are way too many papers, but it's because we have a lot going on and some places you can connect. So would you just take this card and fill it out if you've, if you've not yet said, I want to connect beyond Sunday morning in one of these, one of these places. Um, we're getting our group started, um, and uh, if you're interested in, in anything going on, just communicate there. If you want help with anything, prayer, whatever, just communicate with us, and we'd be happy to connect with you in that way. So, so here we are in the book of Jonah. Um, there's, I just want here, here's the kind of main idea, um, that, that I want you to understand and get, um, for today. We cannot run from God's call to take his unrelenting, transforming grace into wicked places. All right. So if you're taking notes, it's a lot, but you can write that down. We cannot run from God's call to take his unrelenting, transforming grace into wicked places. So here's how we're going to go about it. I'm going to teach the first uh, number of verses here. The first few I'm going to do kind of slow, then we're going to pick up speed, and I'm going to finish and give you four things that rise to the surface, all right? So here we are in Jonah chapter, chapter uh, 1, starting in verse 1. You all ready? You excited about this? Does anybody own a fish? I mean, 
Uh, we have one fish. It's actually, I have, we have one pet at our house. It's this fish about this big, and we cannot kill it. I and mean, the thing will not die. We'll leave it and not feed it for weeks at a time. And so I feel like I can connect with the story a little more deeply because we have this. Uh, never mind. Okay, now, Jonah chapter 1. Here we go. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. You should know this is a command in the original language. It's a, it's a command. It's not an option. God is commanding Jonah, the prophet, to do something. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, let's just stop right there. Who is Jonah? He was a prophet living during the reign of King Jeroboam, which is about 793 to 753 BC, so a long time ago. Jeroboam was a powerful king, and Jonah did something significant as a prophet. He prophesied a blessing upon Israel. He said that Israel was going to be blessed, and its uh, borders were going to be expanded, and that actually happened. He predicted it. So uh, he is, has a reputation for being somebody who's positive. We, we don't hear a lot from Jonah that is what is typical of most prophets, and that is uh, a, a hard word uh, against uh, Israel or against enemy nations. And so Jonah has a reputation up to this point to being very positive. He's very well liked, clearly is a nationalist. Like he loves Israel. He loves his people. He loves the, the, the tribe that he is a part of. Jonah was a very positive person, we, we believe. So Jonah is commanded to go to Nineveh. Who is, what is this place called Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is this city in Assyria. And Assyria at the time was, was not a nice place. It was known for evil. It was uh, described as Jonah in, this, in these ver- this verse as a great city. And it didn't mean great like good great. It meant great as in significant or big, important. But Nineveh was a broken city known for corruption, known for evil. And Jonah surely would have known this. Well, God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, according to these verses we just read, because it's a chief or capital city. It's an important city. And we also know there's like a hint of something has happened in Nineveh that has gotten God's attention. And so God is going to send this prophet to them. And we certainly would think of the evil that's there that God noticed, But it appears as if something else has happened. God knows in his sovereignty that it's time to send one of his prophets there to do something. Nineveh is a place where there's a lot of non-Jews. So it's really significant that Jonah, the prophet, is being sent to say something on behalf of God to an area that is not uh, primarily Jewish or the Israeli people. What we know is that God's interest has been aroused. We actually find that later it's his compassion that's been aroused. He doesn't simply deploy an army to to punish the people in Nineveh. He deploys this prophet, this voice to Nineveh. Now, uh, you should know that Jonah was going to have to travel quite a distance to get there. I believe somewhere like 500 miles Look at verse 3. Jonah rose, so he's going to do something. 
hears the voice of the Lord, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. It makes you feel like you can't talk. I just want you to join me in it. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah went, but he didn't go to Nineveh. Tarshish was the west. Nineveh, where he was commanded to go, was to the east. And Jonah, uh, it appears as if he was looking for a place where there would be no Israelites. He went down to this port in Joppa, and he wanted to make his way to Tarshish, which is, I believe, on the edge of Spain. And the text says that he wants to get away from the Lord. He wants to get away from this voice. He loves his people, but what God has commanded him to do, he's not interested in. So his thinking is, if I could just get away from the voice of the Lord, God would raise up somebody else. We, we know, or we think that, that Jonah uh, didn't believe that if he didn't go, that God wasn't going to have his way. But he just didn't want to be a part of it. He didn't want to do what he knew God wanted him to do. And so if he could just run away from the presence of the Lord, God would be annoyed and just ignore him and kind of let him go off into his way and find another prophet to do it. There were a lot of prophets during, living during the time that Jonah prophesied. Maybe if he went, he would hear nothing further from the Lord. Um, Jonah rebelled against God's plan. He, he disobeyed God's clear word. And the text seems to indicate that uh, his love for his own nation, Israel, kept him from obeying God's call to go to this people that were had a reputation for being wicked. You see, this Assyrian people... Um, Amos and Hosea prophesied at another time they would be a part of the destruction of Israel. So maybe, just maybe, Jonah didn't want to go because he thought, if I go and God uses me to help those people, to show compassion to those people, I'm going to be helping a group of people that could hurt us. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the other people on the boat, were afraid, and each cried out to his God. I think that's so interesting, right? They they got to the edges of their own um, sense of comfort and peace, and so each of them went to their own God, whatever, whatever being outside of themselves or whatever power outside of themselves that they believe to be true. So the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And so they're thinking, if, well, we have to protect our boat, so let's throw off all this extra weight. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This is really interesting. He, he flees God's plan, and he really believes that he can get away from God. He believes he can get away from God's voice. He believes it so much, he's at peace. I don't know about you, but when I, things aren't right in here, I have a hard time sleeping. Well, Jonah, things are okay with him. I mean, there's a storm going on. He's inside sleeping. Everybody else is panicking. He's not. He's like, okay, God, you know, let me do something, but I'm just going to get away from him. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, 
what in the world are you doing sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Our gods, our other gods aren't working. Our boat continues to rock. We're fearful that we might die. Maybe your God can help us. And here you are sleeping. Would you do us the favor of calling out to your God? Maybe your God is the one. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Like they do this procedure of casting lots. God in his sovereignty uses it to point them to him as being responsible for this great storm. So they want to know, what in the world have you done? Who are your people? Where have you come from? What's your occupation? What's your job? Why have you offended this supernatural power so much that he would threaten all of our lives? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I do fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done. You have disobeyed God, and not only has it impacted you, but it's affecting us. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. They didn't like that idea right away. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Uh, It's interesting here, as In this moment, these men who were calling out to their own gods, their own false gods, begin to turn to the Lord. They call out to the Lord, O Lord. They don't know much about the Lord at this point, other than the fact that He said something to Jonah. Jonah's disobeyed. And so that God is going to get his attention by bringing a storm to the sea. And so he's a lot more powerful and a lot bigger than their gods. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Four points float to the surface. You like that? You like what I did there? 
Four points float to the surface. First of all, we see that God is awesome. I love this because it's throughout the Bible that God is awesome. Not only did he create this sea, but he commands the winds to stir the sea. Not only did he create these men with eyes and ears, but he speaks to those ears and reveals himself to those eyes. Not only is he the author of everything good in the world, but in his sovereignty, in his view, he can see all wickedness. He notices everything good and everything evil. Not only is he the king of Israel, Jonah's people, but he rules over all people in his sovereign, which means his, his global or universal or all-encompassing power. God can, can work in such a way that these men who don't even really know who he is go from calling out to their functional false gods to being men who are so arrested by how awesome he is that they turn to him and offer sacrifices to him. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we sing about. This is the God that another prophet Isaiah talks about when he says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We notice right away that God is awesome. Are you with me? I mean, we see his awesomeness compared to these false gods. I mean, their puny idols could do nothing. God is awesome. This story, although its title is Jonah, is not about Jonah. It's about God and how awesome God is. This book, although it tells stories of people, is not ultimately about people. It's about God. This moment, although... We invite you in and God invites us in to think about our own lives and our future and our money and our stuff and our struggles. Ultimately, this moment is not about us. It's about God and his glory and how awesome he is. I pray that our hearts would be arrested by this truth. That we'd be people that are always turning to God because he is awesome. And that's where we'd find our greatest joy. First thing, and we... Notice that floats to the surface is that God is awesome, and that's why we worship him. Second thing that we see is that wickedness exists. As I've mentioned, Nineveh is known as a wicked city. Idolatry, injustice, inequity. Um, They're a bit of a case study on wickedness in the Bible, It's not a place you want to go vacation or visit. Not a place that you would want to uh, live if you had the choice, maybe. We, We see the wickedness in Nineveh. And, you know, as I think about it, it calls to mind... um, some of what I see is wickedness in our own city of Houston. Fourth largest city in the United States. Most ethnically diverse city in the United States. 
Did you know our city is growing by 2,500 people a week? It's growing by a megachurch a week. There's so many beautiful things about this city. I love Houston. Now raise your hand if you love, if you love Houston. Yeah. It, it, Andrew, did you know somebody that didn't raise their hand? We have a team. Um, I love Houston, man. I love, um, I love the Rockets. I like the Astros. Uh, I love the Texans. I love the sports in Houston, the diversity, the beauty of different places in Houston. You know what I mean? It's not all beautiful. We have to be honest about that. And we can't be like, hey, we got a beach too. You know? Um, uh, I, love, I love the pockets. I, I, love, I love North and South Street near where I live. Um, the trees. I, I love um, the types that many tribes of people, the different types of people. I love the food. Um, I love eating at Polly's on Westheimer and getting me a salmon sandwich. I love, I love the, the, the sort of the beauty below the surface. I love the art. I mean, I do. I'm not entirely bit super knowledgeable about art. I'll admit that. But I like it. I like going to the Manil, which is the largest privately owned art collection in the United States. I like going there and just looking around at these these beautiful art pieces, and, um, and just it, there's something cool about the fact that this is in Houston, and this is, this is our city. Maybe you can think of different things about our city that you, you love. Um, not the weather right now, or the mosquitoes, or the cockroaches, but, but you know, for the most part, we, we, we have so much beauty and awesomeness, but you know, um, in our city, there's, there's a lot of brokenness. Do you know that? There's a lot of brokenness, and uh, we kind of organize our lives to ignore some of this, but there is a lot of brokenness in our city. And we could talk about the issue of human trafficking. Um, I mean, a lot of this is going on in the world, and um, I'm not sure exactly where Houston ranks on the scale of worst cities for it, or most, where this, this activity is most popular, but it's one of the one of the hubs for human illegal sex trafficking in the United States. I mean, I'm not talking about some other part of the city. I'm talking about like within walking distance of this building. People are going and paying money for sex with slaves. There's a lot of wickedness in our city. There's sexual deviance um, at all levels. Although I'm very thankful for the school my children attend, and maybe you are thankful for the school your children attend, but they're, they're, we have an issue with the education, p- pockets of education in our city. There are, there are children that do not get access to education and resources that, that others do in our city. I mean, that exists in every city, but we're talking about that in Houston. There's, there's a brokenness in our city There's brokenness all around us in business and commerce. There's cheating. There's illegal activity that happens um, every single day. There's a wickedness in our city that we cannot ignore. God, God will not ignore this. God sees this. So what does God do about it? You know what God does? Is he speaks into the hearts of prophets. speaks in the heart 
of people and sins, sends us into those wicked places to bring restoration and hope. We see wickedness in Nineveh, which makes us think about the wickedness in our own city and what God might have to say about that. We also see wickedness in Jonah. I mean, we're going to see it throughout these four chapters. But we notice right away, something is not quite right with Jonah. I mean, he's admitted, hey, I'm a man who fears the Lord. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. But what we have revealed in this book is that Jonah had a a bitterness or um, a problem with God being compassionate to a people that he viewed as wicked and evil, different than him. We see wickedness in Jonah because God has spoken to him to do something, and rather than going west, he goes east. Again, it it ought to, to cause us to reflect on the wickedness that rests in our own hearts. We can be honest about that. I mean, there was no, there's not a person in here um, that I would want you to feel like you can't be a part of this community because you see wickedness in your own heart because all of us have those places, those dark places in our heart. And just as God sees the wickedness in the city, God sees the wickedness in our heart. And you know what's interesting? God knew that Jonah had that little dark place in his heart prior to calling him and sending him. But he still called him and he still sent him. God uses people with wickedness in their heart. It's one remarkably fascinating thing about the Bible is that God uses people that are broken. But I think what it, what it pushes out or what comes to the surface here as we talk about wickedness existing is that we have to be very honest with God about the wickedness that is in our heart. You know, I um, the, planting a church has, has pushed out of me in my own personal faith some, some, some things that I didn't even know were there, some pride and some, some, um, some other kinds of things and, uh, and I hate it, and I see it all the time. And so, so there's one of two options for me. I can either just kind of ignore it and, and find comfort in the fact that most people don't really even notice it or care, or I can be honest with God. And, and I'm asking you to do the same. What is that wickedness in you? Maybe you have a, a lust in you for sexual fulfillment in some other way than what God has designed. Maybe you have... Um, uh, a heart or a wickedness, a part of you that covets and that really, you're, you're organizing your life. You can accumulate more things because there's, those, there's something about what everybody else has that's really, really um, created a longing in, in you to have more and more and more. What is it in you? What is that wickedness? All of us have those dark places. I want you to know we cannot run from God's call to take his unrelenting, transforming grace into wicked places, which includes our hearts. So we see that God is awesome, that wickedness exists. It's hard to see and it's painful, but it's really good and true. And the third thing that we see is that even godly people run from God. Even godly people run from God. So you may be 
sitting here kind of new to the faith and wondering if you're too bad for God, um, you should know, and I think I've already said enough about this, but, but there are, there's not a perfect person alive. And sometimes even godly people run from God. I mean, he was a prophet. Like I said earlier, he had a reputation for being one who's deeply loyal to, to his Israel, which is God's chosen people's nation. But he ran from God, um, thinking he could flee from the presence of the Lord. There's, a, there's one right there for you. You can never get away from the presence of the Lord. You cannot. God is always everywhere. He's found a ship thinking he can ignore this God who's trying to speak to him. And the reason he's fled from God is because he did not like what he heard. You ever do that? You ever know you're supposed to do something? When I say hear from God, maybe the way you hear from God is from the scripture, or you know God wants you to do something. You hear from God, you don't like what he said, and so you try to ignore him. You flee from him. God tells you to organize your budget in a certain way, and you say, I don't want to do that. And so you, you kind of just, just turn that off. God tells you to spend your time in a certain way or to go do, be a part of some kind of ministry, uh, helping people and taking God's um, message of unrelenting, transforming grace into a wicked place. And you say, that's too hard. I don't want to do that. And so you, you run. Yeah, have, you ever, have you ever done that? I mean, Jonah did it. Um, and, and he's, he's heard from God, he ignores God, and tries, he tries to get away from him. But you should know it doesn't work. I mean, getting away from God does not work. God is inviting him in to be a part of something that he wants to do in Nineveh. And Jonah tries to run away from it, and God wants to do something in Nineveh, but also in Jonah. And so God is not going to leave Jonah alone. God's not going to go, oh, you don't want to do Okay, cool, I'll find somebody else. No, he's saying, he's saying I, I, I've chosen you. I want to do something in them and in you. So no matter where you go or how far you try to run, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be working to arrest your attention so that you will live your part of this story. Um, I, I was trying to think in my own life of, of a time where I've run from God's God's call, and I certainly can think of, of times that um, one time in particular, um, I uh, I was dating this gal that I knew that I should not have been, and uh, I just did not want to believe that that God wouldn't want me to marry her, and and uh, so I ran from it, and I, it 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 destroyed in a lot of ways several years of my life of me just running from God and disobeying God, but eventually God got a hold of my heart and heart of my attention, fortunately. I can also think about the time I knew God wanted me to plant this church. Um, I've been wrestling with it for a while. I knew God wanted me to plant this church. I went and told the place that I worked at at the time that, that God, was, God was sending me into the city to, to do this work. And uh, you, know what, you know what they did, actually? They gave me a pay raise. And so, and so I thought to myself, um, oh, there's a good reason to ignore God's call. I mean, I didn't say it like that, but that's really what, what it was. Is there's a good reason to justify me ignoring God's call. And so for several months, I was like in this cloud where I knew I just wasn't synced up with the Lord. And uh, I, I literally, I mean, I, was, I started having like panic attacks. I would wake up in the middle of the night and go, I couldn't, I mean, my heart was racing. I couldn't, 
couldn't gather myself from day to day. And, and, and I would say, Lord, what is going on? And it was almost like God was saying, I've called you to do something. You cannot ignore it. And, um, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I, I'm glad I did step out and, and go, um, go where God's called me. If I hadn't, you know, I wouldn't have met Eric and Stephanie, my dear friends right here, who've recently come to the church. I mean, I could look around the room. I wouldn't know Greg and Mona like I do, or, or uh, Danny and Anita, and I could just go around the room. I wouldn't get to, to stand before and with these, these, these strong young men, half of whom are listening right now. Um, um, it, it's cool, man. Just text it up, brother. Um, you can take a picture of me and tweet it if you want to, even. Um, Okay. All right. Um, you know, uh, I wouldn't get to, to celebrate. I wouldn't maybe not in the same way I've gotten to celebrate with, with Lawton and Chrissy, um, the, the budding of their relationship and, and their marriage and how God is using them in not just Houston and at the skate park, but around the world. I, I wouldn't, I mean, I could look around the room. I wouldn't get to pastor the church that um, some of my best longtime friends, Eric and Andy, attend. And, um, you know, I, I just, I want you to know that when God calls you to do something and tells you to do something, you can try to run away from it. But here's, here's the real problem. Not only will it create in you a conflict, um, but... Uh, you, you will miss out on something really special. Not easy. I, I promise you, starting this church has been the hardest, f- far more difficult than I ever imagined thing I've ever done in my life. It, it has me uh, awake at night and, you know, and, and on my knees more than I ever imagined. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, you know what I'm saying? Even godly people... Run from God, but God is inviting us in to be a part of the story. One more, one more thing I want you to see in here, and I've mentioned it a couple times, but it's so important because it is sweeping through this book and the Bible, is that God is relentless and is transforming grace. I mean relentless. He will not give up. I mean, some of you have been running from God long enough that, um, and you're, you're all messed up. You're, you have so much conflict inside. You know God is calling you. You, you, you know it. And, and yet you continue to try to run from God and rationalize away submitting and living for Christ. Um, but I want you to know he, God is relentless. He will not, if he, if he wants to pursue you and he wants to call you and invite you in, he will not let you go. He's relentless. He, he won't give up. And his grace transforms. I mean, the God that we're talking about here is the kind of God that sees evil in a city like Nineveh and takes the time to raise up one of his own to send him to go into it. And what God is doing here is he's, he's, going to, he's going to send an, into the city a, a message of his transforming grace. God is relentless. He is so relentless in his transforming grace that he put flesh on, he came to the earth in the form of this man we call Jesus. 
He lived for 30 or so years. He let people crucify him for crimes that he didn't commit. He bore on his shoulders the weight of sin of all of humanity, all those that would place their faith in Christ. God is relentless in his transforming grace. Three days after he was crucified, he was raised from the dead. And it didn't stop there. But he, then he, he revealed himself to a group of people that he was going to send in the world with this message of transforming grace. And that's been happening for 2,000 years. And so the fact that you're in this room is an evidence of God's unrelenting transforming grace. That God in his sovereignty were to organize the events of history to put you right here for whatever reason so you can hear this. That God invites you into this story that's much larger than yours. You can try to run from him, but you will never do it. And what you can be a part of is something that may not be easy, but it will be the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. And your invitation into the story of God, of having your sin forgiven through Christ and being used by God to take that good news to other people, the mission of God, that story stands. It stands this morning. It's for you. What will you do with it? We cannot run from God's call to take his unrelenting, transforming grace into wicked places. And that is good for us and that's good for others. And um, I think that's enough for us to think about today. Let's, let's pray together.